1: friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I am Mariah of Mariah Creates, and I'm here with my printing bestie, Jillian, from Studio Soprano, but we are not alone today. Um, today, we are continuing our conversation around sculpt and embossing, and we have asked Nick and Mac from JR Press out in San Francisco to join us so we can talk more about the production side of these pieces. So um, Nick, Mac, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Hot Off the
0: Press.
2: Hi. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm Nick. Mac. Good to be here. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. Yay. We're so excited <laughs> to have you guys. Yeah. I
1: want to ask, is this your first time uh, being on a podcast?
2: Yes. I think, yeah, I think Definitely so. Definitely for nice.
1: me. Excellent. Okay. Do you like to listen to podcasts normally?
2: Do you? Uh, I don't do too much. I know you listen sometimes. 24-7 to the... The shop. 24-7. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 That's Curly's how I am too.
2: 10. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I've been around these machines since I've been two years old, basically. So, I've always been trained by my grandfather. You got to listen to the press. Like, I'll be somewhere in the shop and I'll hear the machine running in the back and I'll be like, oh, something's off. And I'll perk (laughs) up and it's like, it just missed a sheet. But,. So unfortunately, I don't listen that's, too much at the shop.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: okay, fair. But that's
0: I, an amazing skill to have. Yeah, like, that's that valuable
1: awesome. in different... Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I feel like um, for me, there are certain jobs where I like am totally like listening to something, watching a little show on my iPad. Like there are certain jobs where I'm like, oh, I need something to entertain me because this is just like a long, easy process. And there are mm-hmm. other jobs where I'm like, no distractions, hard focus. And, you know, I think for me, it varies. But Yeah. Um, well, we're excited to talk to you guys and um, to hear a little more about you know what you guys do at JR Press, but also to talk about sculpted and embossing. So um, yeah, let's let's get into it.
0: Yeah. So can you guys just give us a little backstory behind JR Press, um, so our listeners have kind of a better idea of where you guys are located, what you do, how long you've been doing it, all of that good stuff.
2: Yeah. So uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad started this shop in his basement. His name's John Repetto, so JR just took his initials. And he his in his basement in, I think it was 1978. Um, I know for sure he had a Mealy vertical, which I think we still have that one, and a 10 by 15 windmill, and that's actually the same windmill that I was oiling at two years old. I called it the snoring (laughs) press. If you see it going, the middle part looks like a face and the air pump going just sounds like someone snoring, so... It was never yeah. a windmill for me growing up. It was always the snoring machine. And my grandma made sure to have a tight hold on me when I was, <laughs> I, when I was running because uh, a lot of spinning parts. But uh, Yeah, since- definitely. Yeah. And then since then, I know they moved uh, to other places before our current location here on South Van S in the Mission District. In I think it was 1996 when my sister was born. Um, I don't know how big the shop is now but we have i, I never thought we had too many machines but seeing some <laughs> other places like we, we have a lot we have too many um yeah, you guys
1: thought,
0: have a lot of equipment
1: yeah. we saw the list on your website and it's like what that is a ton of presses yeah it's like yeah. 20 huh?
2: more than that <laughs> oh <God. laughs> three, three heidelberg cylinders which now it's two we're taking a part one that hasn't really worked well yeah. um Three cutters, two of which are Seabold cutters. One's from the 20s, one from the 30s. And the only reason the 30s one isn't working is because it's not wired in. But they both still work perfect. Uh, I like to say two and a half, or sorry, one and a half line of types. Uh, We have two of them uh, that both, like, three quarters work. Uh, Heaters busted on one, and the motors half busted on the other. Um, And then seven windmills. Three three big windmills, two of them set up for, for foiling, um, and then four small ones, two of them for foiling. We mainly do hot foiling, and the jump from hot foiling to embossing, it's a lot of the same plates and equipment. So it was just right there. Uh, yeah. What is it? Three, five hand-feds? Five or six, yeah. Five, uh, five that get used. Yeah, five get, gets used. Uh, The oldest one we have, Treadle, which we need to pull out because we can ink on it, uh, 1895. And still, everything still works fine. And now we're down to only three Mealy verticals. We used to have five or six of those. And when my dad and grandfather were beginning this, that was everything they printed on and scored, die cut, perfed, was on a Mealy vertical. Um, They had a single score set up permanently on one just down the middle. and. Like, oh, we have an eight and a half card folded in half. So move the side guide for eight and a half. And then, oh, now it's a four by six. Move the side guide again. So And, uh, and those
0: mealy vertical presses, like a lot of these presses you're talking about are big. When I think of San Francisco and I think of Print Shop, I don't think of the floor space to accommodate all of these amazing presses and large presses.
2: Yeah, thankfully yeah. the mealies are not too big. They, I think it's a fifteen twenty is what they handle. Yeah, fifteen twenty sheets. Like the size of a fridge, you know, but Which yeah. is still pretty big. Okay, a, okay. a big fridge. Their, their footprint's a little bit smaller than, or I'd say, with the walk around space, about the same as a small windmill. Uh, the big press we have, we have a twenty two thirty cylinder die cutter, the Heidelberg. That's a big one. That's like a truck. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love the contrast yeah i guess i guess when you consider that the melee is literally called the it's called vertical like you have to think that the footprint is more vertical
2: than horizontal yeah, no than. Hope so yeah so <laughs> yeah. that's a yeah. lot of
1: equipment that's a lot of equipment you guys oh
2: yeah and yeah. parts of it from other print shops from the city that have closed down um yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of inherited presses yeah i know the big one is willett's print shop started in 1906 As my dad will say the the only san francisco print shop to survive the 1906 earthquake and that was actually the print shop they moved into before coming here and when they closed down we got a lot of their equipment all the stones um furniture galley racks uh, wow
0: that is incredible (laughs) wild it is funny i feel like every like press shops journey involves like some sort of acquisition from somebody like, even if it's not like even, Mariah, one of her first presses, she went out and, um, the gentleman was sort of selling off everything that he had. And at the time, had you been ready, you probably could have walked out of there with like quite a bit of stuff.
1: <laughs> well, the, in my first, I got a little tabletop. That was my first press and the guy It was um, a friend of his who would passed away. And so he was responsible for getting... And I immediately was like, there's a pearl back there. (laughs) And he was like, oh, no, that's already accounted for. Like, one of his printer... Mm -hmm. One of the printer people he knew was like, no, I want that. Like, everyone cherry picks, (laughs) right? And, like, the rest kind of trickles down to the... The Craigslist ads and the like, the people who are beginning that kind of thing, but um, yeah. yeah, it was definitely one of those. Yeah. Like, okay, what else do you have?
2: <laughs> exactly. That's all <laughs> of our old woodcuts we have. When the print shop closed down, Willis, yeah. my grandfather, and someone else went through, and he's like, ah, yeah. I don't know what any of this is. I'll take whatever you don't want. And so the other guy took like, oh, here's you know something usable, something generic, like an arrow or you know maybe a cupid hat. And so he has all of the. This is yeah Joe Schmo on. 12 North streets, like header. So like, we have a mm-hmm. whole bunch of like personalized stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a, we have found a few cool things. Uh, any Bay Area natives uh, listening in, we have a cut for, I think Millbrae house of pancakes or Millbrae pancake house. Uh, that's all a good local spot. We also have a that's cut funny. from Ripley's believe it or not on. Oh, where was that? I don't remember. It's still here. Um, which, uh, the name's not coming to me, but like I looked it up and it's the exact same address. So
1: yeah, that's such a like, I forgot about Ripley's. believe it or not. Like that's yeah, yeah. such a like millennial Gen X like reference. Like, wow. Throwback. I love it. I wonder where like copyright infringement. Like, yeah, yeah I always wonder. These like old, Dr. Like,
2: Pepper one. Cuts, you know? Yeah, like, we have some like, yeah, old so... Dr. Pepper, old Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Oh, that's so cool! All
2: the car ones too, and yeah, yeah. But like, just yeah, like the a lot folks of car ready, advertisements logo. for sure. Uh, that's awesome. There's probably a Chevy one in there, like just a <laughs> whole bunch of just Porsche one, like yeah.
0: that's and all of that. You guys yeah. still have like in your <sighs> shop? That's really just fun. like
2: stored. Yeah, uh, all those cuts I started to organize. And I have them in a little drawer up front. The oldest one I found so far that I know for sure is old is a bookmark calendar for a local fur shop from 1947 calendar, so printed wow. sometime in '46, and st- still prints wow. well. Yeah, and that that thing's hefty too. That's crazy.
0: That is so awesome. This is the best part about being in this yeah, industry is awesome. like working with history is pretty much our daily job. Like that's what we do, and then you come and you find like these little treasures, and gosh, it's just so beautiful. Okay, well, let's not get too far off the topic. We <laughs> want to know what you guys do um, at J.
2: Yeah, so um, it's changed a lot over the years. Like when we first moved here, a lot of it was tab work. Mm-hmm. Um, now we'll run that machine once a month, Thank and God. usually back to back once a month. Like, we're not running it, and then three jobs come in. Um, but... So we still do the tab work. Uh, die cutting. Kiss cutting. Uh, scoring, perfing, numbering. Um, only recently have we gotten into the fine letterpress printing for weddings and events. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think it was about 08, 09 when we started hot foiling. Mm-hmm. And that was... I think the first press we started that on was a 1318 windmill that my grandfather and one of the employees at the time just kind of MacGyvered together to work. And it, it worked. We're still using it. Uh, the only issue we've had so far was the gripper gar- bars got a little bent from the foil, I yeah. think. We had to put a little shim to kick them back straight, but it not bouncing anymore. Yeah. It still works. And then from there, the jump to do embossing was the same plates and similar technique but yeah am i missing anything mac
4: i don't know i say like the majority of the work these days especially like after uh, like everyone has like a pre and post pandemic story but i feel like <laughs> post pandemic we really st- like a lot of the old like business to business type yeah. of stuff slowed down and we really picked up on a lot of the smaller scale like you know short runs for like weddings or art prints and so everything that entails is usually like all the really technical like difficult stuff like foiling embossing, letterpress printing, mounting, fancy finishing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's been the majority, I'd say, the last few years.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. before the pandemic, we were, as my dad calls us, like the hidden print shop. Uh, Someone would go to some other print shop. I want these business cards printed and foiled. And so they'd do the printing part, talk with us. Okay, how do you want it foiled? They give it to us to foil. We'd either die cut it for them or give it back to them to cut. And it's like we're the hidden, I guess, middleman of, yeah. The, the venture of, of a lot of work in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: It's so funny. Cause I feel yeah. like both of those things, um, tend to be common with other print shops that we've talked to. Um, I know when I'm looking for like specialty print work in Los Angeles, it is shockingly hard to find someone who actually does the thing themselves.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: they, like, they are like these kind of like hidden shops. Um, And then a lot of printers that we know, or even like suppliers, like, um, our letterpress plate supplier and our ink supplier have both mentioned that post pandemic, the surge of letterpress work for weddings and stuff, especially from small print shops has just like increasingly gone up, like exponentially than pre pandemic. So, um, it's great to see that clients are interested in investing uh, into their like bespoke, smaller project, mm-hmm. even after an almost apocalyptic time.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. I feel like people spend a lot of time cooped up, like just looking at Pinterest or Instagram. It's like, oh, we had to put off our wedding, but oh, we could look at these fancy invites we could do. We could do that. Yeah. We could go reach out to somebody and do something and have like, you know, two years to think about yeah. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Or
4: something
1: yeah. Together. Yeah. But yeah. That too. Yeah. Can can save be- up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've had this conversation in various ways throughout the last couple of years, but I think a lot of people, you know, reduce their wedding size or mm. reduce their budget elsewhere, um, and they were like, "Well, you know, let's just full send these yeah, ing- crazy yeah. elaborate invitations." Then, you know, so it's been it's been fun to see, but. Um, yeah, it I don't think it's a uh I think it's a pretty common experience that post pandemic the, the type of business has changed for yeah. a lot of print shops. Um, yeah. It seems to be what we're hearing anyway. So
0: So what does a day in the shop look like for each of you? Are you guys running the presses? Are you working on any maintenance? Are you doing like admin work? Like what is what's that looking like for you guys?
2: Yeah, so uh family business. My dad is the owner. So he's the one mainly doing the admin work. Mm
3: -hmm. Except
2: on Wednesdays, he takes Wednesdays off. And so Mac and I are in charge of that. And we'll either get a Wednesday where we're both on the computer trying to figure out stuff until 12, or (laughs) like, and the phone's ringing off the hook, or we don't get bothered until like, wait, it's four (laughs) o'clock and no one came in, nothing rang. So very tricky. But uh, Mac and I usually are running the machines. Um, we all have our specialty machines. I mainly run my windmill, a 1980s GTP foiler, factory foil pull, and all that. I love it. It's amazing. Pain, pain to feed. It's the only press that'll miss and then pick up a quadruple like nothing ever happened. Um, it's also the newest windmill we have, so it probably feeds like all the like it's supposed to. So it's been a little tricky figuring that out. Yeah, it's only uh, 40 years old. Yeah. It it's past. only 40 compared to the other one from the 50s, the early 50s. So, yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: And then,
4: yeah, then for me, it's predominantly, uh yeah, just doing embossing stuff, sometimes foiling, but like most of the embossing we end up doing on our little Frankenstein. What is that? It's like a mix between a Klug and a Chandler and Price.
2: Yeah. So it's a 1218, I think. I don't know the size officially, but it's a Chandler and Price Craftsman Press. And the Craftsman ones were meant for the automatic yeah. feeding. But more importantly, the adjustable impression. Yeah. And we, again, Frankenstein awesome. that one with, it's a Klug foil puller that works when, it's supposed to work when the press is open, it pulls, but we mounted it backwards, so as the press is closing, it pulls the foil. So if you have the pull too long, you're trying to pull <laughs> an inch of foil and it's already got the impression on the... Yeah. We, we've learned <laughs> it's a little janky, <laughs> yeah. but it does
4: great work, as you yeah. can see. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: and that's all. Yeah, the yeah. That, uh, Mac does all the embossing on all the sculpting, embossing on that janky little press. Either that man. or our big browse, a clamshell twenty six thirty six. Yeah, it's a think. big scary press. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I am here for all the Frankensteining of the machines. I have thought about trying to Frankenstein my uh channel, my challenge Gordon to do hot foil. <laughs>
2: oh cool yeah it's the the tricky thing really is getting the foil to pull um on a press like that you just get the heat plate and the wires are out of the way enough uh like we still have the arms i don't think we cut anything off of that press you
4: know like the ink uh, yeah we just spinning yeah the ink plate's there.
2: still on it we just took <laughs> off the fountain and actually where the fountain goes we have a board which the heat control unit's mounted to and
3: Funny.
2: <laughs> the heat plate for that—it's a full, like the whole chase is the heat plate, and that's originally from a Kluge as well. Um, I guess the tricky thing is figuring out a way to do the foil, which uh, I think you've done it once. You just have the foil roll stuck up somewhere and you pull it by hand. But that was mainly <laughs> yeah. the browse
3: I think. Yeah, put, I, mean, I had to
4: put a roll somewhere else. I forget the reason, but like I had—I couldn't have it in the normal spot and just like hand wound it between each hit. Yeah, but it worked, you know. It's
0: yeah. okay. Yeah, nice. I mean, we've seen photos of the embossing that you guys have done on it, so clearly it's it's working for you.
3: Yeah. You're for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um.
0: <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta get creative. Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of those photos, so I had inquired um on the letterpress Facebook group about sculpted embossing, originally because. We I was kind of thinking of doing um, it for a project, but also I knew Mariah and I wanted to record this series for our listeners because it is some like there's always a trend, especially in the wedding industry. I mean, in every industry, there are trends, but like in the wedding industry, like we kind of like strong arm certain trends and, and follow them through for a little while. Um, so you know kind of the previous one was die cuts and we're still in the die cut era Uh, lots of clients are requesting arches half arches wavy edges ovals just anything that's not a rectangle basically and um, (laughs) but a lot of those die cuts are starting to get more intricate now they're starting to follow the shape of the artwork now they're there's an embossing and then the die cut is going to follow the shape of the embossing. And now it's not just a single level emboss, it's a sculpted emboss and it's really intricate. And um, I think the like entry level of all of those, like all of that kind of design aesthetic is kind of easy to understand, right? Like if you need something die cut, you could tell whether it needs to be like an actual dye or it needs to be laser and you could probably go and find a vendor and talk to them about that. And then if you're doing like a single level embossing, you could find, find a vendor and talk to them about that. But when it came to sculpted embossing, like even I was stumped and we do research for this podcast. And I was like, I literally wouldn't know where to start (laughs) with this. How do I set up my files? It's like, is this something I can do or do I have to outsource it? Um, so I posted in the Facebook group and Nick, you were so kind enough to like instantly respond and send a bunch of sample photos that are just mind blowing. Like the level of detail that, um, you know, is achieved in in the, the finished product is a testament to both when we spoke with Mike from Metal Magic, the person who's creating the artwork for that plate because it is literally like 3D modeled, but then also the person running the press and making sure that the make ready is right. So all of those details that are included in that die are being picked up appropriately on the plate. And it's just like, mind blowing. Like one of the images you sent me was of a snake and you could literally see every scale <laughs> on the snake. And it is yeah. so,
3: it's, okay, Mac. it's
0: so, so, so cool. Um, and we'll definitely be posting Um, of course, with your permission, we'll be including some of the photos just so that our, our listeners can also see what we're talking about. But, um, so I know you sent me like a few, uh, photos of the sculpted embossing. Is it something that you guys do often, or is it just something that you're starting to see happen a little bit more, or is it kind of just like a one-off here and there that somebody comes in and has a project like that?
4: I've, I've, so I think, like, back in the day, like, I don't know, five, six years ago, it wasn't that long ago, I guess, uh, <laughs> they would get, like, rarely you'd get one, um, because the dyes are so, like, prohibitively expensive. Uh, and these days, I don't know, with Metal Magic, they're, like, significantly cheaper than they yeah. used to be. You know, it's, like, maybe, like, a little bit more than a standard copper die.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think there's been a trend, like you said, of, of sculpted embossing. It's, like, one client started doing it. And then somebody sees something and they go, oh, I want to try that. And now it's like, <laughs> I feel like every wedding designer we work
2: with, like, has a sculpting embossing going on. At least one, if not yeah. multiple. We did one a few weeks ago, three different embossing, three different sculpting embossing plates. Two of which were the same crest, just different sizes. Yeah. And yeah. Wild. It's easily
4: like, you know, a couple times a week, if not a couple times a day. They're super common. I'd say more so than like st- standard copper. Like single oh, yeah. level embossings at this point.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It's always
4: sculpted now.
1: Yeah, we. So I think it's definitely like that trend. Really, like it, it happens so often that you see something like one photo goes viral and everyone is like wants that thing and they want like that exact like. And so there's you know a couple of stationers out there that we've seen doing sculpted embossing regularly and like now everyone wants it and mm-hmm. it's it's just so fascinating to watch. But yeah, I think I mean with the price you know, kind of leveling out as far as like Metal Magic's plates for single level embossing versus sculpted, like that changes the game pretty significantly you know why have single level embossing when you can have a piece of fine art you know right yeah you can have every scale on the snake and you know every little <laughs> detail uh different levels like how cool is that it's it's incredible
2: yeah, yeah. Matt, I, matt's having some uh, bad flashbacks with the snake yeah <laughs> i don't want to get us too i don't want to get too off topic
4: was that a tough one yeah yeah that was oh. like the most difficult thing i ever had to do um Okay. And I think the reason was because it was just like a lot of... So first of all, it was super deep. Like they wanted a ton of depth out of that snake, which is great. But then also like now you have to press the paper out, like, you know, an eighth of an inch from like where it was started. And it's all pretty narrow ridges. And then it all like loops on itself. So it made these massive wrinkles every time I tried to get more detail out of it. Oh. And I, what I, this is a hot tip. If anybody has... If you have wrinkles, you can't get rid of them. <laughs> you got to sand down the paper and make a powder... <laughs> And then add some water and glue to it, make a paste, and then iron it into the wrinkles, and it'll it'll fix them for something like that. It was a <laughs> oh my mess. god! It took me a, like a day and a half.
2: It took yeah, like Wild. ten hours of labor to get the snake done for I think it was fifty pieces for a rehearsal.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. So like that's the again most tricky one that we've done. Um, usually they're not that long. <laughs>
1: Okay, so follow-up question to that. So the snake, what kind of paper was that? Was it cotton? Yeah,
2: it was
4: super cottony stuff. It was like Letra or Letra. Okay. Mean, Arturo. Arturo, Arturo 300 yeah.
2: GSM.
1: Okay. Okay. And then oh, cotton. The, yeah. the crest that you sent us, what type of paper is that? Because it looks textured. It's got to be that's also. Yes. I think it's also it's Arturo. Probably Arturo say, it's probably Arturo. I It's
2: Arturo. finish. Yeah. Well, I do all the okay. cutting, so I'm like, I know the paper. Yeah, you're the paper guy. <laughs> yeah, the paper yeah. And I think both of those are for it. the same uh, client or the same designer they did like that's their paper they use
1: okay so like is that the is is that typically a paper you guys prefer to use for something like sculpt and embossing do you have a preference or is it literally anything the client wants is there something that you would say like works better with sculpt and embossing doesn't obviously you know we're familiar with the concept of like cardstock versus cotton and things like that
3: but you know
1: specifically is there a stock you love for this this method
4: i yeah for me it's always letra like when i'm setting up i'm trying not to waste too much of the real paper and so like i'll i'll get it set up with letra which just works so good
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, can,
4: you can hit the heck out of it and it'll always look good and then you hit the real stuff and it like starts wrinkling it's like, okay let's try, let's try and match that letra like look by getting it yeah and, you know piecemealing it i'd say the only step that we tried so far that doesn't work would be like vellum that would not work yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. it would just crack yeah it would just fall apart become confetti yeah yeah
4: but we've done like what's that like felt oh what's that stuff called velvet velvet Velvet, we've we've done velvet that's tricky but it does work to an extent
0: does it hold i'm shocked does it hold
4: Uh, it does kind of yeah i don't know how it holds up with the mail but uh you know our clients sent us back some photos because we were like i don't think that works like you've done it before (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. Can you send us a picture of what it looks like? And uh, it still looks good. So I think it must melt or something, or like get packed down, yeah. and then just kind of holds its shape surprisingly.
3: And
1: you're using you're using heat for all of these, right, for sculpting and embossing? Yeah,
4: yeah. There was, there was a time where, yeah. where I think someone asked us like, hey, when you guys do embossing, do you use heat? And so like, yeah, I think we just use it out of habit. It just seems like yeah. seems like a smart
2: idea. We have the setup for it. It's especially with Letra, like you're ironing a T-shirt. Yeah. It's cotton paper, yeah. cotton T-shirt. With it, those crisp lines. Yeah. Yeah and yeah. it works without it but just on the hand fit especially nice you can smack it a few times really yeah um, it's awesome. definitely
4: better to use heat though i think yeah. it's pretty important part of the, the process as we've learned <laughs> and like comparing yeah. it to makes cold makes hot, it's definitely better it definitely yeah helps.
1: yeah i mean it's the same like doing like a blind impression letterpress without ink you know mm-hmm. it's like it it will you'll see it but it's not as like crisp and defined right, right. i imagine it's kind of the same concept with heat versus no heat for embossing Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, Yeah. that was
0: one of my questions originally when I was trying to figure out if this is something I could do in-house was, like, currently I don't have access to a heated press. Um, But I do a lot of single-level embossing, and those come out pretty great. But um, Mm -hmm. I never even thought about the fact that the heat is actually working almost kind of like an iron on the cotton paper Mm -hmm. and how well that would would like pair it together and like make Hold. it work
1: better yeah define the edges
0: it's really fascinating and i love that you guys um set it up with letra because letra is something that we use that's like kind of our, our, our go-to and it does i personally yeah. think just nothing looks better especially if i'm embossing than the letra
3: although yeah. i, yeah, I tend yeah. to get
0: close to cracking it every now and then um <laughs> but that's just because I'm always going for maximum effect.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always
4: just push until it cracks. Like, okay, I go, okay. I hit the limit time to yep. back off a little bit. Back off. Back it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Until it stops cracking. Then we're good
4: to go. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's
2: exactly- kind of like I see more light on this side. Not as much there. Yeah. Good enough. Can't go more. Don't want to go less. It's
4: I always do the push test. If you push on it, it doesn't like rip itself immediately. Like it's probably fine. <laughs> yeah.
2: How does like
1: your your dad like or, you know, did your grandfather ever have like an opinion on like depth of impression? Like, you know, a lot of times we hear some negative opinions from some of the uh, traditional printers and Facebook groups and such. And we're I'm curious, like as a multi generational printing family, what's their stance on this like, you know, super deep impression uh, craze, if you will? Yeah,
2: it's kind of funny. He's always loved the deep impression because, yeah, the traditional letterpress was the copy printer. And so mm-hmm. you yeah. smack the paper or not smack, but I guess kiss the paper with the ink just to transfer the ink. And he's like, no, I love it. You, you know, smack it, hit it hard, hit it almost as hard as you can really. So he's always yeah. loved the deep impression
1: Love that. Good. I love that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> smart <laughs> man, smart man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. He's good with the trends, <laughs> especially nowadays. I love he's like, it. Yeah. I don't like the look of like, if you want to do, letterpress with the zero impression just get it offset printed yeah um yeah you got the easier ways to sounds do
1: like it. a practical guy
3: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it that's you know that's the argument that a lot of people love to have in the comment sections places but um it's interesting to think about you know your grandfather starting off doing you know different types of work it's it's fun to fun to think about so yeah
3: um
1: when you're so like special like for embossing versus sculpted embossing or even you know, embossing in general versus like letterpress or foil. Are there different types of like issues? I mean, obviously you talked about wrinkling with the paper, but are there any other like special considerations or problems that really only come up with this method? Like as far as the printing and production goes, but also maybe like the artwork. I know there's a ton of tiny details in like the crest and the snake and stuff. So I highly doubt that you haven't already figured a way around that, but I'm just curious, kind of like, what do you look for and worry about when you're like getting a piece onto the press and getting it set up?
4: I'd say what's the biggest thing we're to like, probably cracking. I think cracking is always like a big issue, especially with like thin lines yeah. or a lot of little details. If it's something big, like that big crest, it tends to be pretty okay. Um, it's just a matter of getting yeah. the detail out of that, which is also a concern, but I'd say cracking is the biggest one. And um, at least for me, especially like a lot of the, deeper stuff we're doing is uh i always have something on top of the counter die i don't know what the standard is but i know metal magic when we order a die with a counter die it's like that fiberglass
1: or like plastic yeah
4: yeah yeah julian on okay. top yeah. of
3: the
2: fiberglass base i think is what it is oh so it is okay
4: okay oh yeah and so we always use those because they're they're great um mm-hmm. but i almost always will end up mounting like a piece of Electra or a couple pieces of letra. Or there's another material we we got from them. I forgot what it's called. The yellow
2: board is what they call it. Yeah,
4: it's like God. It's like a thousand GSM. It's super. Th- it's like a sixteenth of an inch thick, but it's super cottony. Wow. And I'll put that on top okay. of the counter die, which will then we'll help... put
2: put some clear foil or something down first over the counter die, um, and then most of the time, <laughs> most of the time <laughs> sometimes
4: okay. I just glue okay. right. it straight to the. Okay,
2: comes off. Um, yeah. Usually, uh, or at least we used to when we were patchworking it more with letter and whatnot, put like a, some clear foil over the counter die. And then so you can glue right on there and you don't mess up the counter die. And it was Got only it. after we okay. had to put like a crest on the press, what, two or three times did we realize we should maybe keep all this patchworking stuff yeah. we're doing with the die. Because <laughs> we'll get that a lot. Oh, do this crest for an invite. Okay, now do the crest as a thank you. And then like, I think we did one like baby announcement with the same crest and <laughs> had to set it up three separate times yeah
4: (laughs) another thing too is um is like whether stuff's gonna be mounted because i feel like yeah 90 of the time especially with these fancier jobs like the embossing piece is going to get mounted to something because they have something on the back or they don't want to see the negative of that impression on the back
0: right
3: yeah
4: yeah, so it's like a matter of how big does this sheet need to be then what's the positioning have to be because it has to get mounted to something else to then also be die cut afterwards because you can't Mm -hmm. cut on like a guillotine cutter embossing because they all get crushed the
2: clamp will just flatten down yeah yeah Yeah, that makes sense I I did cut embossing once but I flipped it backwards in the cutter so I couldn't set the cutter to an inch so I basically jogged all the paper nicely and just kind of eyeballed so the clamp was on the part of the paper that I was cutting off and then because now that's a rough cut I had to sand everything down right yeah that's a good I, I never even thought about that about how you would cut this yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so do you print on final size a lot or do you just like make like finagle the cutting process to make it work like what is your preferred I'm sure it depends on projects but what's yeah, kind of it,
2: the, the it majority totally depends on the project basically we need to figure out uh, the full process what we're doing of yeah to like work out okay is this a die cut is it like if it's something mounted embossing, we have to die cut it because there's just no way, like we don't want to try to perfect mount stuff and not have the edge going over the, you know, go off the edge. Mm. Yeah. Um, So it's all, it really depends on the, I guess what the final piece is. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: If it's a perfect mounting, we'll do a little perf. So it folds over nice and we'll run a bigger sheet. That's the nice thing with having the bigger presses. We can handle the larger sheet size.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And so I, I think we ran like, almost a 1218 sheet yeah that one with the big triangle cut out like yeah, yeah it was two-sided foiling and then just some embossed pattern over the foiling and you mentioned about oh no one's doing square die cutting anymore it was a rectangle <laughs> with uh triangles on the inside so like it broke up the square okay and oh funny yeah
0: so that's actually, I mean, now just thinking of orders of operation, I didn't even think about that before. The fact that like, once you have these things embossed, you don't really want to be putting them through like your paper cutter or, um, yeah, like, yeah, them. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. You,
1: you don't want to be duplexing them afterwards or like any of that when stuff. When you're yeah. printing
0: on a large sheet, um, do you have multiple like let's just use this uh crest as an example and let's say that it was a project where it had to be set up on a larger sheet because of the rest of the order of operations would you have one die for that crest and then you like work and turn your sheet or are you actually doing like a two up or three up of something this intricate
4: yeah, I think we've only ever done one Okay. Okay. And I think even if someone said like, hey, we have to do a thousand of these hand feeds, so we should do it two up, we would probably opt to go, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it <laughs> That's one That's what up. I was wondering. Because, um,
3: yeah.
4: Yeah, because, you know, like, I don't know if it happens in your guys' presses, but I feel like it happens on all of ours, so it must be a pretty common thing of like, you know, one side always hits a little harder, or this mm-hmm. side of the press, like uh, this is the side of the press I always prefer, right? It's yeah, like, there's a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. just trying to like, keep it as it local as, as possible and just keep it in one spot. We'll almost always opt for one. up. Maybe we'll do a work in turn sometimes, but oftentimes we just do it one up and just say like, I ah, will just waste a little bit of paper
2: to make this production a little bit less of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> the only multiple, uh, the only multiple up we're doing it for embossing, it's usually single level for like business cards. Oh, oh here's a yeah. four up mm-hmm. and like something with that. Even if it's a small enough image size again, for business cards, I trust we could get it to like a 3d to work for like a little four business card like that but anything anything bigger than that i'd just say you know one one up
3: yeah
2: because like i I just imagine but they're still not that cheap yet so
1: yeah yeah the paper cost of like even if you waste the rest of that sheet versus ordering two of those sculpted embossing dies, is probably not it's not even a question i would imagine unless yeah. you're doing a really massive quantity or something
4: right or like you know um, the, the
1: or if it's really small
4: yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah and also came yeah. into account like how much more time is it going to take you to get this set up and working perfectly totally. as opposed to just like running off 250 at once and like being done
0: with it yeah so when you go to die cut something like this out of its parent sheet are you removing like I know when I get my dies, a lot of the like center area is filled with foam. Are you removing any of that to protect it, or does that not really impact the embossing
2: at all? If that makes sense. You usually, no. If if anything, we actually add in carpet padding. Oh, um, we've been getting our dies made a local guy for ages like now, thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, he always mm-hmm. puts the little black rubbers around the rules, and those on the ends are usually fine. I think the only issue we had, he had like an order of cork rubbers, and they were a bit too stiff. They're actually marking the paper too hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But usually, um, yeah, we'll have like we'll have like some really soft, foamy carpet padding that we'll add in the middle sometimes if something's flying out.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: Mac figured out, oh, just double-sided sticky tape some of the brown packing paper to it and die cut it out. So now you have a nice clean surface. And I've never noticed anything on the embossing. But after running the job, I've noticed that the brown paper has like I can see the outline of the crest on the paper. Interesting. So, yeah.
4: Yeah, I feel like sometimes, especially if you get like really big, I, I think for the snake, we I took out I'll, like some of the rubbers because they got kind of close to the edge.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and the, some of those deeper embosses, they they can kind of get pushed and flattened. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. well, when our dies are made, he only usually puts like rubbers that are just like right up next to the rules. So typically yeah. they're out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, that's good to know. I know mine come with like it. They almost kind of follow the entire die line. So, and like I said, some of the work that we've been seeing with the sculpted embossing, the die cut line is like almost following the outline of the yeah. embossing. And I just close. look at it and I'm like, how how are they doing that? Because my die would totally <laughs> F that up. <laughs> of course, they, they could be doing it in reverse, yeah, but I have no idea how you register something that's that intricate. So they're probably not. Um,
1: yeah, a few things I like a few I've seen that I can picture in my head, I know they die cut after. So I don't know if they just like remove some of the rubbers or like if they just cut part of it away i don't know but they it's some of the work out there is incredible right now it's really fun to see and this is
0: why like these are the little things all these little minute decisions we make you know as printers and experts in our field designers that the client is never ever going to think about the end client (laughs) like (laughs) the person who's getting married (laughs) is never ever ever going to think about the fact that we had to think about how am i going to die cut this after I've embossed it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. They so it I don't know, it's just one of those like little fun things where when you're working on your price, you're like, Yeah, trust me, this is worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
4: absolutely
1: yeah i'm curious so like from a production standpoint when uh, somebody who's a designer not producing any of the work themselves what do you guys like to see from them like when they're sending an inquiry for like a sculpted embossing project what is like like clearly seeing the end result and knowing what's going to happen to this piece after you're done with it is helpful but what else like is helpful to know or to find out from those people to make sure that like your process goes smoothly from that end
4: just like a nice let's see like a nice kind of what do you what we call like a proof or like a mm-hmm. like an, a mock-up like or a mock-up, like something a mood board even as yeah. like totally yeah thing. like oh here's some, yeah. some images we saw this is like what we're going for you know here's our our source artwork or our files that we have ready for the client here's um what else is there that's kind of just it like, yeah, I here's so, the artwork yes. it, you know and then here's what we're going for and you know, and, yeah.
2: and if there's anything else with it, like the Letra foil, or sorry, the Letra soft Letra embosses amazingly doesn't foil well. And so, if you wanted to do like front and back with foiling embossing on Letra, like you need to really smack it hard to have it foil well, right? And so, like, we yeah. got to kind of have like, hey, what is the whole plan?
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: we have done some stuff where like we foiled on the backside of an embossed piece, and you can't do that after it's embossed but like oh but we Got don't want to see it too much on the front so like the right paper i guess helps with that too because yeah sometimes people are like oh i, I love lecture i love letra, and then i want it foiled and i want it front and back like that doesn't work <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah
4: i, I think the biggest thing of wanting from somebody who's like reaching out for like something like this is just knowing exactly like all the details of what they want like I for sure want this double-sided or I for sure only want it single-sided or I do or don't want like a special die cut, just kind of knowing and having all the details up front. So we know like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to start here and then this is that second step and we're going to use this paper and then use this ink and whatever. And just knowing from the jump what it's (laughs) going to be and not like, okay, we have some things coming. This is going to be an embossing, um, but there might be like other little tweaks coming. It's like, well, I can't, I can't get too deep into this because there could be some steps that need to go before this or after this. And
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of like finishing things that i'm now like my brain is my wheels are turning i'm like oh yeah you couldn't like edge paint after you did a sculpted embossing because that would wreck it you know there's so many (laughs) things that like you would need to know about um before like how tragic would it be if you did this beautiful sculpted embossing work and then send it off and they're like oh now we smash it down to paint the edges (laughs)
3: like (laughs)
1: that'd be tragic like Yeah. So I think that's a great, that's great advice for our listeners who are looking into this. It's like, you know, make sure you know all the processes and, I always feel as somebody who does printing for other designers, it's like, tell me everything. More Mm -hmm. information is always going to be helpful than not having enough information. And I can only help you if you tell me more, you know? Right. Yeah. Send me a a page of text
4: and it's like, oh, beautiful. Look at all this wonderful (laughs) detail. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I want to see
1: the proofs you sent to your client for approval. I want to see like what your end product is going to look like. I want it. I want it all. Yeah. That's awesome. More information is better. (laughs) Yeah exactly yeah perfect
0: I am noticing that I skipped over some like more technical questions about the setup process um which I think we may have kind of answered but um so we talked about the press that you primarily use uh for the embossing how are your plates being attached to that press this is kind of where we started asking this is where our conversation kind of fell off with metal magic because they were like it, whatever they do with these plates, they do with them.
1: Yep. Um, they're like, we drill registration holes and that's it. And we're yep. like, okay. Yeah, um,
0: so how, how is that process of um, registering the two plates together and like getting them set up on your press? What is it that you do? Okay, this part's
4: so yep. fun. So
2: Mac also has the easy one. So yeah. uh, <laughs> his is the more interesting. Like I've done some embossing on the windmill And the tricky thing is I can't get the counter die down until I have it in position. Right. And so uh, I use some soft paper on the back and carbon paper to get the impression of where it is. And I kind of like eyeball matched up. Thankfully, the windmill I use, the guides work right. And so then I get it close enough and then add tapes, turn the screws, get it going good. And on the windmill, because you got to clear the arm, I'm just putting the, the counter die straight to the platen um i have i think coming up friday i'm doing a 3d embossing on the windmill and thankfully mine has like the platen can be removed like an eighth of an Mm -hmm. inch shorter i think and i'm going to set it up the same way that mac does on the hand fits i'll let you take over
4: (laughs) yeah so uh in that photograph that shows like our, our heat plate it's got a bunch of just screw holes in it and so um Typically like I'll I'll get the sheet and I'll kinda of eyeball like how big the embossing is and kinda of try and get the embossing centered on the plate just to get the most even impression. And then it just kinda of gets locked up against some screws. What are the like, are you like buncher posts? These as well?
2: I don't know the official, but yeah, I don't it's know like the names for them. <laughs> it's uh the heat plate on the hand fit is just a bunch of threaded holes and yeah. the screws yeah. with little uh like it, the screw holds on a little flat plate with two pins on it that are on screws and you just Yeah, it's like three points of contact,
4: like, you know, two screws in the bottom, one on the side, and then these little, uh, these little, like, screw onto, like, a little, uh, I don't know how to describe this. It's, uh, I think it's called bunter post. You screw it down, and it's got these little threaded spikes that can kind of go in and out, and then you tighten those with, like, a little allen key or a little wrench, and then they'll dig into the plate. And then once that's locked in place, I just put the counter die in it with the little registration plastic, uh, that, little pins they have little pins yeah. at metal magic little plastic
3: pieces put some double-sided yeah.
4: tape and then hit it real hard and hope it sticks to the uh sticks to the packing which is yeah pl- yeah. We, we use, yeah 60 sticks. mil plastic 30 mil uh, plastic on that price i think
2: 30 and 10 we have two sizes of plastic that we get from tap plastic it's a polycarbonate sheet clear polycarbonate like a pre-made in place of yeah in place of tinfin yeah. yeah and especially yeah. for the foiling too that works great um I was kind of cheating because so we used to use a white one, and I said, "Hey, I always miss like the patchwork of packing underneath. I'll hit something, and like I have half the image. What's going on?" And then I forgot to check underneath the packing, so I wanted the clear stuff, and it works even better. It's the same stuff riot shields are made out of, so it can take a beating. God. and uh, it <laughs> is they take a beating. <laughs> fun facts, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah, the, the tap plastic. I was like, I need something hard. You're like, well, this stuff riot shields. So I'm like, hey, it's. Uh, got to work yeah. and like... <laughs> we still have the very first piece of plastic we bought beginning of covid even before covid so middle of 2019 2018 yeah it still works great good plastic he wasn't lying yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so we'll have to take it down, and then yeah double-sided tape and because yeah it's for the hand fed, it's easier. Then you can slide stuff underneath the plastic. Yeah, it's
4: like oh, I need a little more oof on like this top of the crest or bottom or this one spot. I can kind of like sneak a little piece of paper under there, uh, and not mm-hmm. move it too much.
2: And being clear, you can easily see. Oh, it's lining up there. Right. So, yeah, that's for that. great. <laughs> Before
4: getting it attached to, like you know, you don't have to use those. Like I know some people, and we've even done it too, where you know you just tap a hole with a drill, like a drill press, uh-huh. or you can even. ask metal magic hey can you drill a couple holes for us in these certain spots or something and then kind of like just screw it down and the position doesn't matter because since it's a hand fed your guides can be anywhere it could be crooked as all hell but you know you're just going to set it up and it'll be fine, right yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, mariah and i both use like a clear honestly i guess we don't really know what the actual composition type of plastic plastic it is
3: yeah we call it acetate
0: It could be part of <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. but, yeah, but, me. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, for the same reason, like it's so much easier to track your make ready. Um, and the way that I've been registering my plates recently, especially with embossing, it sounds really similar to like what you're doing is I get like the one that's going on my form all set up. And then I just put the mail plate on top of it, pull off the sticky back, close my press, transfer it close over, the press. Yeah. and then I figure out yep, where yep. to put my guides on top of my acetate after that so that everything's like exactly. perfectly registered. Um, yep. So yeah, but that's really fascinating because it is having that um, that backing plate that is heated that has those pre-threaded holes that allows you to easily use the plates from Metal Magic, which I think was the part that we were like, Oh, we're going to have to figure out like creating some sort of form to put in
1: mounting it. So it's type (laughs) high or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, It's yeah, again, Jerry rigging, whatever it is. is, (laughs) is A
0: lot to think about definitely Jerry rigging. And it's one of those like things that may tip the scale of, is it worth it to try to do it in house? Um, We're, To very ambitious printers so we love to do anything in-house if we can um or Mm -hmm. is it worth just like outsourcing because you're gonna get the best result from like a heated press and also it sounds like it would be way less of a pain in the ass to figure out how to set it up
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can tell you right now the moment it involves heat i'm sending that to someone else (laughs) 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 bye-bye that is that is where I draw the line. I'm just like not gonna try. Uh, yeah, yeah. no, nope, The softer that's it. the that's paper, the, the
2: less heat you need. It's Like Letra, just blind hit, no heat. Yeah, you can Soft, get it with it pretty well. Design, yeah, yeah.
4: And I find it, it tend- yeah. which is weird. I, I sometimes stuff cracks more when it's hot. Because I'll set something up and like throw the plate on and get the heat going, and I'll set it up, and it's not cracking. It's totally fine. And then once it gets up to like 200 degrees, it starts cracking. It's like, well, what happened? <laughs> so I do think the heat has an effect in that regard too, or maybe it's just because it's just hitting and stressing the paper less since it's not hot but
3: i think i think you can get away with that i don't think it's like
4: super super critical no for some pieces it is like a super deep like that snake yeah (laughs) or a crazy um like crest but i think for the most part like you know you get enough stuff on top of the counter die and have it hit hard enough or or enough times you hit it a couple times you get more detail each hit Um, yeah
1: yeah Um, Okay, there is one other technique that I feel like you guys would um, have a good opinion on. So I have done just like a little bit of single level embossing with like standard letterpress plates. And I had some small text and my plate maker actually was like, well, we have another client who orders a third die. I think she said it was another male die that like, You know how sometimes if it's too small text, you lose the center of the O or the A or whatever? She basically said one of her clients orders an additional plate to push that back down. So you get that definition even on small text. Is there any kind of like finagling like that you guys have ever done with embossing uh, of any type? Like, have you heard of that or thought about that
2: before? I don't think so. Because I think one little step that Matt kind of glanced over. So like when you add stuff on top of the counter die, it's not just a whole sheet. He'll put the whole sheet at first, hit it. And then take a little exacto knife and cut out where he doesn't need it. So, oh, I should have mentioned so that. So you're actually cutting out inside the O, so that gets pushed back down. Yeah. Interesting. To the base plate. Okay. And so. Got it.
4: And then, yeah, either so I'll, yeah, I'll throw that piece of lecher on, hit it real hard, and then just use that as a guide to you know do arts and crafts and cut it out. Get
3: some glue. Yeah. On it, so almost like
1: almost like packing within like using the like topographical map to make your packing perfect right, but in, exactly. in like inside of the die interesting okay that I also like helps that too because
4: when you hit it too hard sometimes especially with like the pre-made uh, little fiberglass and resin uh, counter dyes is that the the dial bottom out when you hit it hard enough yeah. and you'll see like the little like reverse metal magic etching in there. You'll see the die order
2: number. That was the issue we yeah. had with the snake. Yeah. Uh, thankfully it was close to the edge on three of the sides. So the flat edge of the counter die hitting the plate was off, you know, off the finish sheet except for by the yeah. head. And that's where Mac went to town with the sandpaper oh, yeah, and a little hobby yeah. hand iron. <laughs> remade the paper
3: <laughs> oh
1: man so and what I you're saying over, is that like, you guys go above so like and beyond
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so
0: satisfying i have had a project where um, there was just like a few things that had gone on during the print run and i got to the end of it and i'm doing my qc and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna have to rerun this whole thing but i sat down with a oh, nail man. file And I sat there and just filed the little, like, areas that I needed to and then took, like, a little water (laughs) and put it back on the – and that's the best thing about Letra is, like, you put a little water on it and some pressure, and it looks as good as new, baby. Like
3: God bless Letra.
1: (laughs) I am going to forever think of ironing a T-shirt when I think of Letra now because of this conversation. I'm, like, literally going to – That's, like, going to be stuck in my brain now. No, it's a good thing because, like – You think about like fabric and wrinkles and like, you know, you sit down too long and it creases, like all of that stuff is applicable to paper. Like when you have the outline of your little plate, you ordered super ganged up. And so you had to cut it a weird shape. Like all of that stuff is, is fixable, you know? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Then just real quick, like you said, uh, speaking of like wrinkles, uh, I think like the texture in a paper, this is super off topic, is, uh, has like a pretty big impact and it can really make your embossing look better. And I hate to use the word, but like it really <laughs> pops when you do that. Mm-hmm. You, when you <laughs> when you, uh, when you emboss it, it gets pretty ironed out and smooth to whatever your die is looking like. But then, like in the contrast to the texture of the paper, especially like that crazy like Atrucia finish on the letra, it's it's a really nice contrast and really helps that like kind of you get like a little out.
2: flat shadow around the whole image. Yeah, to make it pop more. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the images now and I'm like it, you're absolutely right. The contrast between like basically the background paper texture and then um sort of the smoothness of the embossing as it like gets pressed in. It really does add that effect. I mean, in this one monogram, there are like these little curl details, and it actually just looks like you glued something on top of this piece of paper. It's I know. like, oh, I'm it's with like those you took curls the a bottom. little plaster oh, yeah. ball oh, yeah. relief <laughs> and like glued it onto paper. Like, that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: yeah
1: well i can't get over like my brain is like the letters like the little date on the bottom of that crest like they're depressed so and everything yeah. it's it's mind-boggling it's really cool
4: yeah for that shout outs to that yellow board stuff i'll get you guys like the actual name of it because for these dyes when it's a crazy crest like this i only just use that stuff exclusively because it's just yeah. so and then you can get it wet and then it kind of deforms almost like a plaster and then once it dries because the plates heated, did yeah. Yeah. It, you know it's like cement and just it's all on top of the counter die, way high up, so you're not botting them with plate out. But all that pressure is now centered purely on the die and the counter die, and it really helps kind of smush it up. And you can hit the sh- hit the out <laughs> kind of it. Uh, you I can cut cuss, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can literally hit the shit out of it, and um, it, it won't tear because the papers, you know, it's paper on paper essentially. It's not going to shear like it does against that resin. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's,
3: that's really
0: so interesting. Cool. That's so awesome. when someone sends you this artwork are you passing it on to metal magic to have them do their thing and create the sculpted embossing are you giving any advice like we need to make sure it stays within this depth or whatever or are you guys like what is the process for you handling artwork like this because this is insane there's like Talk about multi-level. There's so many levels to this one monogram, especially the date at the bottom. The fact that the date is depressed. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's like Yeah, that one's really just that's, yeah, that's that tickles me pink. I like can't.
4: That was that's always a little worrisome. It's like, is that gonna come through? But with that yellow stuff yeah. it really it, it really does. It's yeah. So I'd say uh, shout outs to Metal Magic. I don't know. We yeah. kind of just tell them, like, hey, and there's a, there's someone there, Garrett, mm-hmm. who is just like our like <laughs> liaison at Metal Magic for this stuff. And it's always like And all the clients have the exact same request. It's like as much detail as possible, as much depth as possible.
2: And um, the only input we add to them first, before we send the file over, we kind of know like, Hey, this line width is too small. Make it fatter. Right. Right. Uh, Lose some of the detail here, you know, make the detail bigger with less and it will come out better. Right. And then, but like, 99% of the time, it's just forward to Garrett, here you go, work your magic.
4: Yeah. Get as much details as you can.
2: I'm sure Garrett appreciates that when you're just like, do what you gotta do. He's probably like, I I trust you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We did one that was a mountain range. The only uh, input we'll add is like, okay, the client said, oh, I want this range to be the farthest back, smallest, this one to be the highest, this one in the middle, and it's like we forward any of that info on, but then pass it off to them and work their magic and they give us a uh a, a 3d simulation
1: yeah oh yeah a rendering or whatever
2: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and i don't want
4: awesome. you know <laughs> put too much work on their play. but you know sometimes a client will send us like a watercolor painting and go we want this to be sculpting embossed and and it's like well okay <laughs> hey, hey Garrett, this is like watercolor painting can you please like work magic and make this super i'd say like the a, a big thing though is i definitely like have a lot of detail in the source artwork because I think to an extent, like, if you just have big rose petals or something, it's just going to look kind of flat and blocky uh, when it comes out. Because yeah. sometimes I just can't add detail if there's no detail to reference from. So, you know, even if it's, like, way yeah. too detailed or way too textured, like, having more is always a, a good option.
3: Right. Because
4: um, I think that stuff does look the best when it's, like, just a lot going on, a lot of small details.
0: Yeah, if you're gonna do it, you might as well do um, it,
3: right? Like, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll
4: say. Yeah. <laughs> you dream it, we can
1: make it happen. Yeah. Um, on the one that you sent the image of uh, like the florals with the foil like background, it's kind of a little rectangle. I was just yeah. gonna ask
0: about this. I'm,
1: I, I'm like the the registration on this, I need to know like how much did that suck. I so, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't wrap my head around this, this one. Also, of- what process went first and like yeah.
3: Walk I need to know way. what went. First. Yeah,
2: so this is the joys of multiple presses. So we have this eight and a half by eleven, eleven seventeen, whatever. Uh, we cut it down. It's a fold over card, so we cut it down, scored it on our windmill, and we like to have a little quarter inch at the bottom for the scores because going off the edge of the sheet doesn't work well. So okay. cut it to that run size, score it down the middle, slight overhang on the cover, cut to final size up and down. And then I had the foiling setup on my GTP. And Mac had the embossing setup on the hand-fed. And it was just little bits of like, okay, I think I'm straight. How are you? Just I'd run one. He'd run one. What do we need to tweak? And I think as we ran this, it was like I ran 25, gave it to him to run. <laughs> he ran the 25. Is it still good? Is it still matching up right? Because uh, we've yeah. done some with... I know for me with foiling on the windmill like i'll run a sheet through and then like oh i need to double hit this and i'll run it through at the end of the pass and it will hit different because of the heat it ironed out differently whereas if i were to run it back through immediately it registers perfectly
3: and so it's either let it sit
2: to like cool down or immediately literally hot off the press go to the other press
1: (laughs) but um yeah Yeah. perfect yeah sorry you're hired
4: he's real proud of
0: himself (laughs) we're proud of you too and also proud of this result because it's so incredible like it's mind-blowing
1: incredible
4: yeah yeah the registration
1: on that literally is like magical it's it's pretty impressive
2: yeah and Um, yeah i don't remember which one we did one of the plates is a little bit bigger and smaller i don't remember if we had the foil plate like the outline is Bigger than the embossing, so you don't have any foiling up the edge. I think is what it was. I you'll forget
3: see that. Like a little extra of, stroke on the artwork. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. I, I feel like it does help a little bit because the problem is when you get it perfectly registered and then you are off like a quarter point. All of a sudden, you have this weird little like strip of white where there should be foil, and it's like so glaring, at least to us. And it's like, like that that's not gonna flop We have to <laughs> that has yeah. to be adjusted yeah. half a point on these hand fed guides that are like <laughs> taped to the damn plate. Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, I, I think it definitely helps having two presses. At, at first, I was going to go, well, you could, you could totally do that. with just like, you know, a, a single press, like do the foil pass first and just kind of, you know, be really picky about yeah. measuring it to the millimeter, make sure it's not bouncing. But having the second press to go run a short amount. Adjust and go, throughout
1: the run. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And
4: make sure it's good before like, oh, damn, these all moved a little bit at some point and I, I don't know what to do.
2: Yeah, I think the most we've ever set up is three because we've done a foiling embossing like this and yeah. then a, <laughs> a registered
4: die cut to that line yeah exactly. it's the exact
2: same thing though, like the perfect border close to the outside and so slowly but surely shifts aside yeah, yeah that's i think that's
1: a really amazing idea like that's something that would i've never really thought about doing before is like for Jillian and i, I think a lot of times we run into like we order something digitally printed from our usual printer. And then we are letter pressing like on top of or around that digital printing. Mm -hmm. And if they cut off a little bit, you know, like it's sometimes through that stack of paper, it does shift, like whether Mm -hmm. it's your guides get like loose or whatever, or if the digital printing is slightly off. Like, I think that's a really, I think that's a great uh, idea to run them kind of simultaneously. It's pretty pretty
2: Even the curl of the paper too. I did a yeah. registered clear foil debossing. And as the curl changed, I had to constantly adjust the guides on the windmill because uh, everything matched up perfectly. You could see it was off completely. Like I was like, oh, this looks fine right set up. Then upside down, I'm off like three points.
0: Yeah. And
2: it's like, oh, it's only three points, but it's in that tight of a registration. That's a lot. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. even the curl two affects how things run mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: a lot of considerations for sure that's um that's pretty brilliant
0: yeah the thing that gets me sometimes with uh registration for like multi-part project which because we only have one press in our studios mariah and i um actually mariah has mm-hmm. two but she doesn't use our windmill so <laughs> it's, a, a it's a long story for another story. day. Um, but uh you know, we're kind of forced to run one part of the job full all the way through, but I think what always gets me is somewhere in the middle of the job I'll notice that I need a little bit of packing um somewhere else that I didn't notice at the beginning and it's just occurred to me fairly recently that adjusting the packing even though it's so minimal will change your registration ever so slightly. Um, I was just doing a three color pattern yesterday and like the first few because my ink was, my press was nice and inky, the first few like all looked pretty good. And then when I got to about 15 in, I noticed that like the upper left hand corner was like not hitting quite as hard so it needed a little bit of packing. And so then when I Ran the registration because I'm starting from the bottom of that pack down. So I set up the registration for the second plate. When I got to those last 15 that were technically my first 15, the registration was slightly off up in that corner because now it's just like move so slightly. It is like maybe half of a point. But to me, it's like glaring because there's this little thin white line between the two colors. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) damn it. Do I re-register just to run 14 more of these prints or just let it go? And I let it go. But I can't imagine doing something this, like, this is very intricate. And the end result is like, you know, a work of art in its own. Do you guys like, when you, do you take one of these off the run and like, hang it like i would put this on my wall
2: and like frame it yeah <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing framed i don't think uh, we do have like a few little like boxes of samples because some people come in like oh do you do this embossing with this foiling what does this look like oh yeah we have embossing over foiling we have embossing and foiling we've got yeah
4: for me so. it's it's pretty unglamorous it's like a ziploc bag of oh, that's pretty good
2: and yeah the main things we have is like a bag of samples and like marking all over it okay this was this heat on the windmill this impression um, that's smart yeah
4: yeah i'll send it to my mom uh, but look, look at this mom look
0: at this <laughs> yeah is. as you should <laughs> so that's
3: so great oh gosh,
0: <laughs> if I if i printed this i would be running around town look what i did i did this look what i did <laughs>
3: It's really amazing. Yeah, that
4: would be like a random like I'll like holler at the back of the shop like, damn, I'm good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run around the shop, do a lap, show everybody in the shop. You know, yep. all three of us. Like, look oh, at yeah. this, Tom. Look at this. I, give we've all done that.
3: <laughs> Yeah. But, well, uh, you
1: can send it to us, and we'll send you a little hype back. We'll be like, oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> like, Yeah, I would love that. That's yeah. something we do a lot. Is like, I am successful i did this yeah. look at it it's so pretty and we both are like wow you're amazing you yeah, love yeah.
3: this
4: it's cool because yeah, like, i know cool. like when i'm showing it to nick or tom they're like that's pretty good and like, i know like they know what they're talking about you know
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. like, Oh, it's cool man that's yeah. cool
4: and i'm like you don't get it dude you don't get how much work this was <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like how
2: and uh going back to yeah, the- go ahead. yeah. no good uh, i was gonna say going back to the registration it helps to treat it like a numbering job keep like I ran this sheet and then I ran this sheet right after keep them all in the order so when you make a change like you did yeah. I know okay the last 15 sheets I just add the two points and it's good um because that was the issue with the registered foiling I did it was all mixed up so I had so like the curl went suddenly changed and then I had to add three tapes to the guides and then I ran 50 sheets I removed those three tapes and so for tight registration stuff keep it. And if you have multiple piles, label it. I've done that a few times on the hand fed uh, ink press. Okay. Ran this first. This is number two. And so I know what order to run them back like in three lots of the same setup. yeah. <laughs> all slightly yeah.
3: Different. That's
0: such good advice. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, yeah. We've definitely it's, done that with our digital printing notes. Um, jobs that we've talked about where like, I will actually go through with my PICA ruler and check, where this digital print is landing and then make piles of like, okay, so this one is spot on. Everything's centered. This one's like a 16th inch to the left. Who knows why? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. And then that way we can uh, run it and in three different passes or whatever, you know what I mean? Th- do three different registration yeah. setups, um, which is just the joys of printing. <laughs> like, Sometimes you just have to do that stuff to get it perfect. I mean, I've done, like I've set up like a little uh, guide that flops down to let me know where a digitally printed outline of a crest is and in between every print, I'm just double checking that that crest is in the same spot because otherwise Mm -hmm. the tiny monogram I'm printing inside that crest is never going to be centered. Um, because oh, they were God, printed yeah. on handmade paper. So literally every single one of them was slightly different. Um, oh, God. It was a <laughs> painstaking process, but, you know, slow and steady. I'm so glad that I have a hand fed press. It's not even motorized, so I'm foot pedaling it. And every single one of them landed exactly where I wanted to, but it was because I took the time to, like, set up a little guide, a little little jig Mm -hmm. for myself and then (laughs) yeah so much better than just like trying to figure it out like and running it and then not being happy with the end (laughs) result of like 50 percent of them or
1: whatever it would be i was gonna say wrecking wrecking happy paper is not (laughs) worth it yeah yeah (laughs) not in that case anyway that's for sure awesome
2: well i've been lucky with the hand fed it's only ever been one pass i think or nothing yeah. super registered. I, I can't even imagine registering the hand fed. I'm pretty like a, good. No, I've
4: done so. it a few times. The trick is just making sure that the guides do not shift. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I have
4: these little like half inch, uh, like half inch by half inch, like what are they like,
2: like plastic, just, like
4: plastic little little pieces of plastic that I just tape down with double sided tape. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, once I get them in position, I'll like kind of offset them a little bit so they're, they're like a hair off, and I'll add back like really thin masking tape we have. And then get it back to position and then like if everything if it ever needs to shift or shift backwards, I can just kind of peel a piece of tape off without like moving the whole guide. Because those little just little shim tapes essentially.
3: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's uh, so smart. I do yeah. end up if anything shifts, I do kind of end up moving my guide. Um I've started, the plate, I've started yeah. Putting <laughs> masking tape underneath them because then they lift up a little bit easier. So like the only part that is fully down on the plastic is like the Front edge that the paper is going to meet because then I get like obviously a nice um edge for it to hit up against but yeah if like I need to move those things they do not come off very easy and so I put like a little bit of masking tape on their back end so I could just like pop them right off um Smart, yeah. but yeah it is nice to have uh like a backup plan for in case anything moves and whenever i do a set Mariah, i'm pretty sure you do the same thing but whenever we do a second run we kind of register our next plate to the print that we just like finished so like i'll actually print an extra like i don't know three or four and then use that to actually set up my next plate. That way I know that the plate is going to be registered to the paper. So if the pins didn't move at any point in time, hopefully it's close enough. Mm-hmm. And it usually is. Yeah, yeah I do. that. Yeah. I do the same thing,
1: basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just make sure that it matches what I'm actually printing rather than like the original artboard or whatever. Exactly. I used, and- I used yeah. to use
0: my guide sheet or I know a lot of people just like pick a spot on their um, base And they like registered to the grid on the base. And I've stopped doing that because there's always something nominal about the paper or the print or my packing moved or anything like that. that I'm like, it's usually just better for me to register to what I printed than to register to the guide sheet of artwork or my base or anything like that. Because I'll forget, I'll forget that I did something silly like, oh, I needed to tighten that coin, and so now technically the base isn't in the same spot. So,
2: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I have sharpie lines on most of the coins, so I know. Okay, tighten it to this point. Uh, It doesn't work too well with the heat. The heat has actually shrunken the furniture a bit. Oh wow! I have a four pica with wood that's now like three six. We didn't cut it. It's just the heat has (laughs) smashed it down that much. And then that's my grandfather will go, oh, it's not three pikas anymore, and he'll cut it down to three, because uh, that's when when you first started in the, the, the trade school here, they were like, all right, you know, cut everything down, you know, make it all back to the standard sizes. But hard to get the good stuff now, so I just add like, oh, I have, like a two point lead or some one point papers back in to get it back to the same tightness, yeah. and that helps minimize the shift.
1: I think our generation of printers versus like your grandfathers is like. He could buy new things. We just have to jerry-rig literally anything. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> yep. I think that's a defining characteristic. Or, you know, or like... like the
0: things that we're using survived a fire. Or like,
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. like
0: they're already us, and... like totally, yeah. I don't mangled like they've been through a war. Who knows?
3: So.
2: Yeah, he's he's used to like setting something up. Oh, like I'll run through two hundred sheets just to get the ink right. Is what he would do. Whereas the whole run <laughs> is 200 sheets now yeah. so, and yeah. like more expensive paper. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So
0: I get nervous when I'm like, oh man, I like five sheets in and I still haven't nailed this registration. I'm like, dang, this is becoming expensive. And it's like, it's not it, comparatively, but it feels it as, you know, especially post, Or like in the middle of the pandemic, when like cotton papers were just cotton was impossible so hard to get, to get, a hand on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So luckily, knock on wood, times <laughs> have changed. changed. Yeah. Things yep. have shifted. Yeah. Cotton <laughs> paper is in full supply. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: That's why Nick always runs a ton of make ready or like a, yeah, yeah. It's like set up sheets on different like cheap paper cause, yeah. because
2: yeah, because the paper is yeah. expensive uh, and the cutters leave some clamp marks. We have. Uh, one bottom sheet and a few top sheets and then there's our make ready we have a little mic so I know okay this one's like 15 thick the uh, cut sheet I have is seven thick so get two of them in use one as packing and run the other one and it's basically the same thing and that'll be good for setup and close enough getting the foil or ink right and then it's just now I'm using just the real stuff to get the final like you know four or five to get it finally looking good And then i'll run everything else for position and yeah
1: yeah i'm the same way i like reuse all kinds of paper and things i don't even touch my paper for my actual project until like i'm i'm like oh yeah this is perfect and then i'll throw one on and be like is it perfect (laughs) and then if it is you know great we go to print but if it's not i'm like okay back to the scrap paper and i keep like random sizes random papers but I'm also fortunate that the most of what I use is the same paper. I have like 110 pound or 220 pound of cranes and that's like pretty Mm -hmm. much it. Um, But yeah, I, I waste nothing. If I can, I reuse all the things I will print it upside down from the last thing I tested on that piece. Like (laughs) all of it, if I can. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, I say, let's wrap it up. We've, Talked yeah. about right, sculpted yeah. embossing and thoroughly, which thank you guys. This has been so helpful. Yeah. Um, I know we left our Metal Magic uh, episode being like, no, we need more. We need more than this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we were both like, okay, I get that. But now, now what, what else? else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
3: so yeah.
0: this was really fun and exciting. Can you tell us how, um, if the listeners want to reach out to you guys, work with you guys, um, how they can reach you, find you, and see some of the great work you guys do.
3: Yeah,
4: they can check out, uh, I think uh, I guess we're going through the website. It's like a pretty good option. It's like jrpress.co. Uh, they can send like a quote request or I think we have an Instagram.
2: I think it's, yeah, jrpress.sf is our Instagram. Perfect. Um, you
4: can also send us an email. We
2: do have an email. Oh. Uh, jrpress1, the number one, at AOL.com, but Max shaking his head, we still use AOL, <laughs> <laughs> again, it's the, I, I think like the official business started in the early 90s, so it's like, that was yeah.
1: what there was, and we, we that was hot them. then, yeah. yeah,
2: so, we have a Gmail, that it. the only reason we have Gmail was, I think, for the website, needed the Gmail, yeah. we never check it, <laughs> and QuickBooks needs a Gmail, I think is what it is, That's so it's,
1: yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome. And so obviously you do sculpted embossing, regular embossing, hot foil, die cutting, uh, letterpress printing, all of the things, right? What else? Uh, any other services you want to mention specifically? cutting.
2: We have three four-hole drills. I don't know the manufacturer do some drilling, round cornering. Tabs. Tabs. Tabs would be surprising. <laughs> Mylar tabs reinforcing on those. Um, awesome. And just. Weird, weird stuff. Like, yeah, the embossing, the felt. We yeah. printed on wood. Um, did we do anything on the wallpaper? Yeah, we do wallpaper.
4: Yeah, if you got something, we could probably do it. We'll try. <laughs>
2: we I
1: love it. That sounds
2: I like a good summary. Book covers, like, yeah, it's we do weird stuff. <laughs> I love it. Well, you have
1: tons of equipment. You obviously have tons of knowledge and skill. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing all of that information with us and our listeners and um, for being on the podcast. It's been great to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah
2: thanks so much. for are welcome. And yeah, thanks for having us. That was fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> They are the best. We love that. That
0: was amazing. Yeah, that was great. Um, that was so good.
1: Yeah. So really fun to talk to them. They are clearly incredibly knowledgeable, which is so is so great. Um, And I just love like the multi-generational aspect, but also like they both have a nice, like they have like the resources we always wish we had, like somebody to just go ask those questions, but they have clearly, you know, far exceeded the, you know, the whatever I'm trying to say, you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, I do. And I just, I mean, we've said this Before, because obviously, you know, when we talk to Mary and even when we talk to Mark, like these people who have been able to have printing in their lives from either early childhood or early adulthood, like it's just Mm -hmm. it to me, it's like one of those things where I'm like, man, if I could live a second life, like I would have loved that because I, I am so enthralled with this. Industry, the history, the machines, all the like techniques, the skill levels, and it just feels like I like I want more time. Like I, I want, yeah, I have been doing this for years and years and years. Um, so it's just so cool to talk to someone who you know grew up around the presses and stuck with it. You know, it it's yeah. really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, Nick saying, you know, he was oiling a Heidelberg at age two, like he's literally been living and breathing, you know, letterpress for his whole life, which was incredible. Um, what an yeah. what an incredible opportunity to to be able to learn that way. And, um, you know, hopefully, yeah. you know, in however many years, another couple of decades, you and I will be like, oh, yeah, this is all we're super experts and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's they're they're incredibly not I don't we should have asked how Mac got into this, but um, both incredibly knowledgeable and just really fun to talk to. So that was great.
0: Yeah. So we hope that you, the listener, enjoyed this part two of Sculpted Embossing. I'm so glad that we decided to do this because I really think we now have a full picture of the whole process from the creation of the plates, which is quintessential to this pro- this type of project, yeah. down to, um, you know, practicality, how how they set it up and you know, I'm so grateful that they were willing to share so much of their process because I do think it gives a newer printer a better idea of, is this something I can take on uh, to challenge myself? Or is this something that I just know I want to outsource because it's just beyond the capacity of my press? And we talk about that a lot, that sometimes you are just limited to what your press is capable of. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am still tempted to kind of try. like
1: I, I know you're going to, just just admit it. Um.
0: <laughs> but if it was for a client, I would totally outsource 100%. But I'm like, ooh, if it's something for me or one of my clients that, you know, I do this a lot. My clients know this and, and I think they appreciate me for it. But sometimes I leave things a little open-ended because I'll be like, I don't know 100% how this is going to come out, but it's going to come out great. And they just trust me. Um, So I may do one of those and just give it a go and see how it works. But um, if not, Nick and Mac are going to get a phone call from me (laughs) pretty soon because I need to get into this sculpted embossing thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, based on what I've seen from their work, I'd, you know, recommend them to any designers looking to do sculpt and embossing, foil work, that kind of thing. So definitely a new vendor to add to your list if you haven't worked with them already. Um, Yeah, they, incredible. They're, I mean, I can't wait for everyone who's listening to, like, I hope you're listening and looking at our Instagram photos as we talk about some of these things, but, like, yeah. If you haven't already, go to Instagram and look at these photos because absolutely incredible. Um, and our Instagram is at Hot Off The Press Pod. So if you don't already follow us, um, you can go find that photo. But it is just—I mean—the detail, the like three D dimension, just mm, chef's kiss,
0: immaculate. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> I could try. I seriously, I want to frame the one with the foil and the flowers. The flowers. Like. I want to put that in a frame for them.
1: Yeah. If, if you're a designer who designed any of their work that, that we're showing, I want to hear from you and be like, tell us more, like where can we purchase all of that stuff? Because some of this stuff is really incredible. Um, and I, I, I'm yeah. sure that they maybe have some design involvement, but uh, yeah. So if you're a designer who designed some of this work, or if you have a sculpted embossing jobs, you're like, look how cool this is. Send them our way. We'd love to see that. And we would love to share it. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, ogle over it with you, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And if there's any other, um, topic that you would love us to cover the way that we covered this, finding people who do it regularly, who are experts in it, um, send us an email. We are hello at hot off the Send us an email or a DM over Instagram to make that suggestion. Um, or if you have like a specialty thing that you do in, in your print shop that you think would be beneficial to share with the community. We loved this. We loved doing this. We love talking to other printers, hearing about their process. It's, it's been so fascinating. Our interview episodes are always my fave.
1: Yeah. And I think they're listeners favorites too, because, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people are listening while they print uh, one of their projects, but there's a lot of information out there. And if you don't have access to it, it may seem very like hard to uh, comprehend or hard to understand how this stuff works. So we are more than happy to get down to the bottom of it with you because we yeah. like to know these things too. So
0: yeah. And I think there's a lot of validation in hearing how another printer does something and then being like, oh my god, I do that too. I have a Frankenstein machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome well this is a fun episode um, thanks again to Nick and Mac and JR Press uh, in general um, fabulous episode and can't wait for you all to listen to it
0: yay and we will see you next week bye, bye. <laughs>